Right now, though, I want to talk about it was a few years back. I remember doing interviews with doctors who were prescribing nature, and it was oh, a chance for their patients to just get out and enjoy nature. Well, this seems to go another level. Social prescribing, almost a, a prescription for fun. Dr. Kate Mulligan, Senior Director of the Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing, joining us this afternoon. Dr. Mulligan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. How do you define social prescribing? Social prescribing is a way to use your healthcare visit to your doctor or nurse practitioner or even your pharmacist um, to help you reconnect with the things that really impact your health, uh, which are those social and environmental determinants of health, your relationships, um, the quality of your housing and income, uh, and your ability to take the time that you need to really enjoy life. Those are the things that really matter to people, and those are the things that we're trying to address through social prescribing. Are all provinces on board with this, or is this such a new idea that uh, some are just trying it with different demographics? At the moment, it's not a systematized part of our Canadian healthcare system, but the majority of provinces are trying it out. So we see social prescribing happening all the way from BC to Newfoundland, um, and quite a few projects happening across Alberta, and particularly those focused in Alberta on older adults. So I want to talk about the benefits of it then. And yeah, Alberta does have a social prescribing focused on seniors. So could you give me an example of how it would look then for a a senior? Yeah, so, um, you know, for example, there might be seniors living in uh, smaller rural communities who maybe move there from Edmonton or another big city to retire, for example. Um, But what often ends up happening is that, you know, one member of uh, the older couple dies, leaving the other person not only bereaved, but without those social relationships and resources that they had in their prior community. Um, And sometimes access to mainstream healthcare itself is quite limited when we get into smaller communities. So social prescribing allows people to um, develop and connect to those community resources that are out there in the community, formal and informal, Uh, maybe a bereavement group, maybe um, something simpler like a walking club or a knitting group, something that helps connect that person back into the things that matter to them and allows them to access services that they might need, like home care, uh, housekeeping support, or other things like that. So those are some of the things that um, are happening in Alberta to help keep people healthy and happy and aging at home and keeping them out of hospital, out of long-term care, out of the doctor's office. Kate, we know how strained our healthcare system is. So are you saying, is it is it often through the doctor or is it through other social groups that would recognize this need in, in this case, a, a senior in Alberta? The bulk of the work of social prescribing happens in community agencies. So uh, you'd have Sage Senior Services, for example, or other United Way-funded community organizations that are really taking the time to sit down with the person and shift the focus away from what's the matter with you, which is really the focus of our health system, toward what matters to you. Um, And they have the expertise and the time and the capacity to really help with that. So the idea is to take that burden away from the healthcare system. What we're seeing now is that sometimes people go to their family doctor or to the walking clinic because they just don't know where else to turn for help. They've lost those connections to community um, that people may be used to have in faith communities or service clubs or schools and things. So um, 
doctors are a bit overwhelmed with people that they really can't help, that their clinical training and tools don't really um, have the capacity to address, particularly when they don't have much time. So this helps the doctors feel better too and have more of a sense of purpose, that they can uh, refer people to a community connector at a community organization and know that they're going to be well taken care of. Research has backed up this idea of social prescribing, hasn't it? Like, tell me about the benefits of social prescribing. Yeah, well, I think we all experience the uh, the challenges of social disconnection and loneliness during the uh, pandemic period, for example. Um, and so it's, a, it's easier now for us to explain and for people to really understand how important it is for us to have relationships and to feel a sense of belonging in our lives and in our communities, to feel a sense of purpose, uh, to feel the sense of uh, our capacity to take a bit more control over our health and well-being. And so the, the research really bears this out, that if you are lonely and disconnected, uh, you're likely to die sooner, to face more chronic illness, to be at higher risk of things like dementia, stroke, heart attack, and so on. When you do connect to people uh, and you're reconnected to community and you have those additional supports that are needed to address your social and environmental determinants of health, um, those risks go way down and um, you know, even the number of years of life lived go back up. You know, I've even read about uh, depression and how, you know, loneliness can lead to depression. And if we're talking about the healthcare system, sometimes doctors are quicker to write a prescription for uh, a drug to deal with the depression. But social prescribing could be the answer in certain situations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not meant to be um, a replacement for medication when people need it. Lots of times people really do need medication for mental health or physical health, Um, but it can be a supplement. And what we have started to see in the research is that often people do reduce their uh, use of medication. So that de-prescribing of medications that maybe weren't appropriate in the first place is a good thing for everybody. We certainly don't want to have overuse of um, non-essential medicines or healthcare visits or any of those things, which are, um, you know, overburdening the health system, but also costing our environment in ways that are just really not necessary. So the de-prescribing part is a really important component of social prescribing too. Dr. Kate Mulligan is my guest this afternoon, Senior Director of the Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing. There's actually a Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing, Kate. Yeah, there is. We've been around for about a year and a half now, and uh, we include organizations, communities, researchers, uh, participants, people with lived experience, uh, and people representing groups that face bigger barriers to health care and, and, and good health outcomes. And what we're trying to do is make this part of the Canadian healthcare system. It's something that we know works. Um, it's efficient. It costs less money than a lot of these clinical interventions. And I think most importantly, people like it. The more they try social prescribing, the more they want it in their communities. And that includes uh, the participants, the community organizations, and those healthcare providers who do have a reduced sense of burnout and an increased sense of purpose when they can um, make sure that the health needs of those people who really, really keep them up at night, that they're struggling to help. Um, when they know that they are being helped, they just they feel better and they want to do more of it. Kate, earlier this afternoon, we were talking about the the homeless situation, whether it be encampments or building more houses. But even in an article I read, it's one thing to get someone into their own house, but social prescribing could also be part of that scenario because you're in a house, but you still need to have some social connections. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the change to housing uh, can be a big, huge transition and a stressor for people. Um, and that uh, creates all kinds of health risks, right? With all, the, all those situations that make us feel precarious and stressed uh, are bad for our health, right? Our mental health and our physical health. So social prescribing gives us a sense of connection and stability again. Um, and sometimes social prescribing can be housing. So we can, we can see a social prescribing community connector worker or link worker actually help people access housing which might be the first thing that they need along their journey to better health and well-being. Um, but uh, sometimes other things have to come first. And what we're finding is that for very marginalized populations, building a trusted relationship with somebody in healthcare or in community services might need to be the thing that comes first before they're ready to do things like access housing or go, go for healthcare treatments. So having a trusted person who really listens is the first step toward having a healthier relationship with yourself and with your community. Kate, thanks so much for telling us about social prescribing. Thank you, too. I hope everyone can check us out at socialprescribing.ca. Dr. Kate Mulligan, Senior Director, Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing.